Hello everyone and welcome to the seventh episode of the podcast. I know seventh episode, that's so crazy, it's gone so quick. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at dyspraxia and autism, interviewing James as he talks about the highs and the lows and what it's all about. So welcome James. Hi Athena, no, thank you very much for asking me on the podcast. I'm excited to for the rest yeah. Sorry, I just, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Would you be able to introduce yourself and what you're all about? Yeah, so hi everyone, I'm James, I'm 30, I've got autism and dyspraxia, I was diagnosed with both of those when I was two, Uh, so it's all I've ever known really. Uh, I like writing, going to the theatre, like spending time with my animals and friends and yeah, I love Doctor Who as well. So how would you feel um, growing up with autism has, growing up with autism at a young age, has it feel like it's impacted you? Because I've only just been diagnosed three months ago, so I, I wouldn't know any different. So I think it's had been diagnosed at two, it's had positives and negatives. Uh, positive thing is that I've always known why I do certain things or display certain behaviours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always had that uh, sort of safety net, if you like, of, of why I think a certain way or why I need extra support so that's been a positive really because I know so many friends of mine have they're screaming out that that they've got autism and they want a diagnosis and look looking as someone as an outsider like I'm not clinically trained or anything you can tell that they've got autism or dyspraxia but it's just it's been so hard for them growing up like not knowing not having an official reason why uh the negative negative wise are they growing up even though knowing that i've got autism like i know especially teenage years and like tragedies and things like that a difficult period it has it was hard like not being invited to birthday parties and feeling like that the autism is or going out with like friends and feeling like my autism has been the reason why or simple things really i've never because of dyspraxia they've really never learned how to ride a bike because i've i've tried but just never be able to do that so i don't think realistically uh unless they make a dyspraxia friendly bike which would be amazing uh i'd be able to like go out on bike rides or things do you remember what the process was or have you talked to friends and family about what was the process when you were diagnosed it too so uh i spoke to my mom about this uh it was picked up by a health visitor uh, when i was early on no it wasn't there's was a bit before that so, <laughs> so my mom noticed uh mainly when i was at nursery that I wasn't hitting certain developmental milestones, so I was always playing on my own, didn't really interact with the other kids. I was ha- I was still shuffling, whereas I think at that point I should have been at least attempting to walk in. Uh, so I was quite happily just shuffling on the floor. Even at that young age, I was still I was setting my routines in place. So I think sort of I always make sure like food wasn't touching, even at such a young age. Blows my mind that I could do that then. Sort of things like that uh, were identified. So then the health visitor came along uh, and then that's when she recommended to my mum, like because it was a home visit, like, oh, you should take him uh, to the doctors and uh, try and get, I think he's got autism. And then, yeah, my mum managed to get a diagnosis for me because I think it was actually quite helpful with the health visitor because of that medical person having picked up on it first that it helped with the diagnosis. I think a lot of the things you're talking about is very similar to myself but when I asked my mum about it she was always well I thought it was normal but I suppose it's you're very lucky in the way of a health visitor saw your symptoms uh, when you were very young. This is just like a curiosity it's a uh, are you do you have like any brothers or sisters or 
elephant. Yeah, I have a younger brother. I'm older than my brother's 18 months younger. He's got ADHD. He's not never been diagnosed with autism, but I think that it might be easier if, like, for people who have brothers or sisters, maybe that to see uh, to help with the diagnosis rather than just being like an only child. I think it was um, growing up, I was the only one who was neurodivergent. My brother, he like, yeah. hit all the milestones. So it probably was, I think it was like hard for him to understand rather than what you were saying, how it was similar. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand because obviously my brother's ADHD, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think even with ADHD, he does struggle yeah. uh, with like understanding things that I do. So mm-hmm. I know one thing, like, for example, when I pick him up from work, he always gets uh, annoyed if I spend too much time around about. But then I think that's played on the fact with the dyspraxia. It takes me longer to like, yeah. I know we were chatting before about like crossing the street, but similar things with yeah. roundabouts, judging perception and things of, like when I, I only want to go when I feel it's safe. Like it might be safe, it might be fine. Yeah. But in my mind, like it takes me longer to realise that it is. So do you feel that your, dyspraxia sometimes contradicts your ADHD or vice versa uh oh do you mean my autism sorry autism sorry not ADHD (laughs) I mean I I think I've probably got ADHD I will will try and get a diagnosis but uh that's a very good question do I feel it contradicts yeah sometimes it can feel like they're both battling if I'm honest Mm. I think uh dyspraxia is very much to do with difficulty with hand-eye coordination Uh, so sometimes it can feel like a battle between the brain and the body that say I didn't realize it took me a long time to realize that firstly I didn't walk in a straight line secondly it's because of dyspraxia I don't walk in a straight straight line so I just thought it was normal the way I walked but I didn't realize until I think about two three years ago somebody brought it up and and then I think the autism wants everything to be like inverted commas perfect and so stuff like that like if i it wants me to try and walk in a straight line but with this practice it kind so it can feel like there's sometimes a, a log ahead sometimes so moving on to education what was college like college or school or university like having autism and dyspraxia so they're quite three different things to be honest school like, i remember my mom telling me especially Let's start at the beginning. Sorry, I'm just about to give you my life. <laughs> uh, primary school, uh, my mum had to fight for the, the support and it took a while for it to be put in place. Uh, but luckily, uh, the Senko at the time um, was quite, she was quite supportive. It wasn't, the, it wasn't, so she knew the processes and things and she'd been doing it for a while. So she knew what my mum had to do, what evidence to get and things like that to get support. So in the end for primary school, I had to, I had, I think it only really got put in place towards the end, so year five, six, mm-hmm. uh, for the SATs. I don't even know if SATs are still a thing, but um, uh, I had a scribe in place for that. Yeah. And they tried to get me, because of my age, uh, laptops weren't really a thing. So at the time, it was like a, uh, like a computerized word, like a computerized typewriter. So it's like, basically, it wasn't. A computer as such but it could do uh like i could type and then they could connect it to the computer and then it would upload into into word yeah. so they managed to get me that which is quite i think i was only one of the few people in the country at that point who had something like that because we had to go through a rigorous uh, assessment process i can't can't really remember it but to get funding for this computer it's like a couple of thousand pounds i think it think it was mm. yeah so that that was that really helped a lot then secondary school because we had the evidence, it was slightly easier. 
to get support. So for exams and things then. So I never really had support for dyspraxia, apart from primary school, because uh, I went to physiotherapy and occupational therapy. But that was more to do with life skills, I suppose, really, like using a knife, learning how to use a knife and fork. Uh, yep, yeah, shoelaces, although yeah. I just wear Velcro so much easier. <laughs> shoelaces, uh, wow. yeah, stuff like that, really. So that, that was where the dyspraxia support came in. And uh, wow secondary school it was mainly using a computer for exams and uh I'm trying to think what else yeah I don't think I had to oh I had to scribe for some of them someone to help me in exams right for, for them uh but there's never really sorry I'm just deviating now. college and university was I'd think university was the easiest to get support with uh disabled students disability students allowance where I got uh given got funding and I got a new laptop, I got a dictaphone, a printer, I just feel like I'm in a shopping list, a printer, but that really, 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 uh, and like all the, and a mouse mat and stuff like that, which can cost a lot, but I didn't have to pay for it because of disability and it came from the DSA, but I don't think I'd be able to go through uni if I didn't have the computer and printer, which something's take for granted, but uh, I think especially people with autism, dyspraxia, it's should be classed as essential really you shouldn't have to go through a process to get it. it should be like oh you've got autism we can give you such and such and such yeah definitely I agree with that so in so in primary school and high school when you said you had support was it one-to-ones was it a one-to-one in lesson or was it just occasionally coming out at lesson so primary school vaguely remember that I had a TA at some point but it wasn't a regular thing so it was more one-to-one then uh, I remember the primary school being taken out and then we did physiotherapy and occupational therapy in another room I don't know why that was but I just I just remember that uh, high school uh, it was definitely left le- it was it was I only really got the support for exams I don't remember ever getting any less like one-to-one support in lessons being taken out into a different room to go over things yeah I don't remember getting it I think it was more general just just support for exams my experience I think people are much more willing to offer support and more accepting than whenever I was down south now I was only a child but it's definitely more inclusive and diverse up here it feels like whenever I've gone like down south, like London or that area, everything just seemed a little bit more like on the go, hustle bustle than up yeah, here. I definitely agree with that. And literally, the last say two, three years possibly happened to like talk, starting talking to people on TikTok yeah. and Instagram, like how we started talking. I'd say definitely made more genuine friends who are all northerners. Uh, than when I was down south and I've still got friends who like, I've been friends with 20 years who I really appreciate their friendship and I talk to quite regularly but uh, yeah I just clicked with more people easily up here. That's interesting so what would you say your biggest challenges were moving away to university compared to when you were living at home? Huh? Oh that's a very good question yeah. uh, I like that um, so I went to university in North Wales uh, at during the first two years I lived uh like in student halls and uh my mum my family was still down south so every three months my poor mum bless her uh, had to drive the what, five two hundred three hundred miles up to Wales to pick me up during like the school school holidays do like summer yeah. holidays and things like that uh 
it was a real challenge. I'd never lived on my own before. Um, didn't know how to do, sounds really bad, didn't know how to do simple, well, I'll say simple, uh, things like washing clothes, ironing, cooking for myself. Like it was literally, I mean, I'm glad I did it. And I chose that for that purpose, really, to help me increase yeah. my confidence to move as move as far as I can away from my mom. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I love my mom. Uh, she, she's been like a real good, really like a rock to me. But uh, yeah, I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone uh, and move somewhere because if I would have went to uni down south I would still be living at home I wouldn't I don't think I don't think I would be the person I am today I mean it's still hard like little things like I'm, I'm a big fan of Pokemon and I, there are like real life events of Pokemon I remember there one being at a local game shop and I was so nervous like oh god they're gonna think I'm a kid uh, so I remember like when it happened, I just ran up my mom and I just talked to her to distract me while walking. I think it was only a five minute walk to the shop. So I did things like that. I talked to my mom every night. Uh, I, I will speak to her about my day. And to be honest, I still do now. But, uh, I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, it's definitely a positive experience. So like I would say if you've got a disability and you're um and on about university, if you really want to go there and you're worried about uh university holding you back just try it if you really want to go there's a you're all in it together especially in the first year like so everyone's nervous uh i didn't go on nights out that was the personal choice i don't really drink uh i was sociable like i still spoke to my flatmates and things but yeah you just like it's only a positive experience for me was there any clubs or um societies that you went to that you feel very like neurodivergent friendly for yourself i was very antisocial the first time oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I just, I, I remember one day I took my, I was really into Twilight at the time in Twilight Saga yeah. and around the time Breaking Dawn Part 2 was out. So I went to, there was a midnight marathon and like all four or five films were sewn back to back. Looking back, I wish I was more social. And the second time I went to uni, when I, I did my master's degree, I definitely made more of an attempt to be more social. But yeah, I didn't really, I'd say... The first time I went to a comic con, which was at my uni, which was run by a student, that was when I properly clicked with other people because there was other people in my flat who went and I had never been before. So I think it was more, I didn't go to an official club, but when I went to comic cons, as I still do now, you realise that it, people are very inclusive, that you're all there just to share a love of a particular club or film or uh, something in common. Sorry, I felt like a ramble. <laughs> no, you didn't. It's interesting. Did you? So, what course did you do at college and, um, at, sorry, at university? So, for my undergraduate degree, I did broadcasting, journalism, and media communications, which I always wanted to work in TV uh, uh, or the media industry at that point. Yeah. And uh, I originally applied for radio, but because of government cuts, uh, they merged three degrees into one. So that oh. gave us an overview of all of them, which is quite fun and interesting, really enjoyed myself. And then because of co the reason I did, I always wanted to do my master's degree, but I didn't know when, but because of COVID, I lost my job because of a diversion of funding. So I thought no one's hiring. And that's why I decided to go back to uni for a second time and do my master's degree. And uh, yeah, that's when I did my master's in TV production. Was that a couple of years ago you did that? Yeah, I did. I'm going to sound old now. Uh, <laughs> I did my undergraduate degree 2011 to 2014 and then my master's 2020, 2021. So yeah, it's fairly still recent.
So what would you say is your proudest moments and biggest achievements in your life? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I have to think. Okay, so graduating twice, that's yeah. proud, especially with disabilities, I'd say. Uh, outside of education, I'd say passing my driving test, someone would, like, it took me a long time, but uh, being told by uh, people in authority, well, not authority, but some yeah. people throughout my life that, oh, you're never going to learn to drive because you've got this back to pass on it. I was like, might take me a while, but I've done it. I think that's definitely something that I want to do past my driving test. But I think the first hurdle, just thinking about applying for anything just scares yeah. me. Or even just getting on the road thinking that something's going to happen. I think that's completely natural. And I'd be worried if you yeah. didn't say that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I'd say... Would you think it's your dyspraxia or autism that you're most, if you're worried about your disabilities impacting on driving at all? I think I'm, I think maybe my dyspraxia are a little bit more, more worried that I'll, I'll see a car in the distance and I'll yeah. go for a turn, but the car will be closer than it actually is. I completely understand. Same with me. I was worried. Um, mm. I started off driving in a manual. Um, it took me a long time to while that it's actually somebody at work that suggested it, but, uh, yeah, I didn't get on with the manual at all because little things like trying to find the biting point and I was struggling yeah. trying to do the gears. So, I mean, I, I've got an automatic now. If you pass your test in automatic, it means you can only do automatic, but it it takes a lot of pressure off you, like especially having dyspraxia that it just changes the gear for you. A new used car, I feel bad saying a new car. It's not a new car. It's a used car, but it's a new for me. Yeah. Uh, it's got this thing where it tells me, because I do <laughs> Uh, I'm still discovering new things where it tells me if I'm wandering into someone's lane it tells me uh like the speed limit as well it beeps if I'm going over it so there's loads of like I think cars are becoming more accessible to people yeah definitely and I suppose there's lots of other forms of transport as well if you don't feel comfortable driving like oh, the yeah. tram or the bus or the train oh definitely yeah but only don't ever be pressured into driving like yeah. if you have access to public transport never be ashamed of doing it because it what I only learned, I only passed my test when I was 29. So, and yeah, I just always used to either get lifts from my mum or take trams or trains or something. So, yeah, plus, I suppose it's probably easy to get to places rather than having to try and find a car park space too if you take public <laughs> transport. Yeah. So, I think the last question which I'm going to ask is about the future. So, what are your hopes and dreams for the future, close and far? I think. End goal is, uh, end goal. Uh, my big dream for the like long term. I hope that disabilities just become more acceptable. That everyone is. Taught, I think it's to do with education. I think uh, mm. taught how to be acceptable and uh, inclusive. That just going somewhere, say to the shops or wherever, that they'll have all the or get or start a new job. They'll have all the facilities to be able to be accommodating to everyone. And that people will, like, if you like, disclose it on a form, they instantly it'd be nice to be like, oh, what can we? If you're successful, like, at an interview stage, <laughs> I don't think interviews. I think interview processes need to change because I don't think they're accessible to everyone. I think it puts a lot of pressure on, and just because you might perform badly at an interview, it doesn't reflect. I don't think it reflect 
that you could be brilliant at the job was your was your interview process for uni I'm just thinking sorry was it was your interview process stressful in any way because I know mine was a group interview so I didn't really have to do any I didn't really have to do much talking within it yeah so this is where I differ from like so both universities uh for my undergraduate I didn't have a and both of them I didn't have an interview which I was quite pleased about but it's because of other circumstances that led me going to yeah. university. So, for example, I was snowed in and couldn't make the open day. Uh, so I had I went up a couple of months later to meet the tutor. So I had a more like informal meeting with them. And then that's what yeah. led me getting to uni, even though I didn't get the right grades at A-level. And then the other, uh, my master's degree, uh, I, again, I didn't have an interview. I had uh, it was a telephone conversation because someone I used to work with helped design the course I was applying for so it was more sort of through the back door but I still applied through UCAS and everything but I I didn't really have an interview which I was quite pleased about to be honest because I don't not really I always feel nervous in them. So I think that's going to be the end of the podcast so thank you so much James for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me I've had a brilliant time it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you I hope you enjoyed this podcast and if you're interested in looking for any future episodes the link will be in the description to any future episode any past episodes and I'd love it if you could subscribe down below and yeah hope you enjoy this episode bye.